This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Sunday edition of the Best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. There's been growing criticism of proposed legislation by the Ford PCs to limit the liability of nursing homes when it comes to COVID-related lawsuits. Before allowing a COVID-19 civil suit to proceed, judges would have to consider whether a, quote, honest effort was made to follow public health guidelines and laws related to the pandemic. The legislation would also protect frontline workers like physicians and personal support employees and the province, municipalities, public health officials, as well as politicians. Libby Snymer was joined by a panel of experts on Wednesday to discuss this important issue to Zoomers. Graham Webb, Executive Director of the Advocacy Center for the Elderly, Stephen Berman, partner at Thompson Rogers Law Firm, and Kathy Parks, whose father, Paul, died in April with COVID-19 at Orchard Villa, one of the nursing homes with the worst record. Kathy is also involved in a lawsuit against parent company Southbridge Care Homes and Orchard Villa. I'm disturbed to hear this, and it's been a bit of a roller coaster. I, I first want to clarify something, though. I I don't think anyone is interested. I was watching uh, Question Period today. I listened to what Doug Downey said. I do not know anyone who's going after a grocery clerk or a hockey player. And I can certainly say that for myself, my family, the people that I know, we are not interested in going after frontline workers. As a matter of fact, in my claim, you'll see that they are not mentioned. Um, there seems to be this idea put out that you know, everyone wants to support frontline workers, including myself. And I feel like the Ford government knows that. And so they're trying to pit the, the frontline workers against the families. And I have no intention. I, I have to tell you that if it wasn't for the staff, and I'm talking frontline workers staff at Orchard Villa, I wouldn't have known the truth about my father's health status. And I wouldn't have had the opportunity to talk to him for the last time. And I've been very vocal about how grateful I am for that. This is about holding the owners accountable for what they allowed to happen, for the direction that they gave and the actions that they didn't take. Stephen, uh, what do you make of the government's uh, explanation of this? Well, I echo everything that uh, Kathy just said. Um, It's a bit of a a complete straw man argument to suggest that there's uh, any exposure for um, the PSWs or the workers. Nobody is, is suing workers or PSWs, like Kathy said, they're the heroes in this. They're the ones that we're providing our clients who are members of various classes against the most egregious homes. They're the ones that we're providing some information and some support um, in their last days. I think it's really shocking and appalling. Um, I don't know why our premier and government, who has promised us since June that there would be full accountability, is uh, is pursuing this immunity legislation. I don't. I haven't heard one good explanation for it. All it does is protect uh, uh, private operators and insurance 
insurance companies, and I really don't understand why they're doing this while the commission that's looking into this tragedy is still hard at work. One would think you would wait for their findings and conclusions and get to the bottom of, that, of what actually went wrong here before you, you know, started offering uh, protections for various actors. So I, I don't understand it. It's 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 shocking to me. It's very disappointing to our clients. Uh, it's not going to stop any of these lawsuits, but it's very disappointing that the government would enact some legislation that purports to try and extinguish their rights retroactively um, while all of this is unfolding and without without any uh, consultation. Uh, let's bring in Graham Webb from the Advocacy Center for the Elderly. I uh, could not get uh, the the people that represent the long-term care industry today. Uh, they weren't available. But in the past, uh, the the CEOs of, of both the group uh, that represents nonprofit homes and the group that represents for-profit homes have told me that they are in favor of this. And the main reason being is that they said, well, they're having difficulty or are completely unable to get liability insurance, and this is threatening their operation. Graham, is that a valid rationale or excuse? Well, I think it's a very poor public policy decision in response to that very problem. Like, we're aware that long-term care homes are having increasing difficulty obtaining and maintaining liability insurance because insurers are withdrawing completely from the field uh, long-term care homes are not able to renew their policies. And it would be very concerning that we should have uninsured long-term care home operators in Ontario. It would be just as concerning as having uninsured motorists on the road. Um, but um, the response the government has given is to try to solve this on the back of uh, long-term care home residents and their survivors uh, who have been injured through the negligence of a long-term care home operator. Long-term care home operators who have not been negligent have no liability. This is all about uh, protecting the liability of negligent long-term care home operators and uh, working to the advantage of the insurance companies that uh, are on the hook right now. Graham Webb, Executive Director of the Advocacy Center for the Elderly, Stephen Berman, partner at Thompson Rogers Law Firm, and Kathy Parks, whose father, Paul, died with COVID-19 at Orchard Villa in Pickering. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. As we grapple with the second wave of COVID-19, there is a very real concern the situation in long-term care is worsening and may be headed toward a repeat of the devastation experienced in the spring. The number of cases of COVID-19 in nursing homes has been increasing by 8% a day. As of Tuesday, there were 216 active cases, up from five on September 1st. As of Thursday, 86 homes had active outbreaks, up from 13 on September 1st. And 60 residents have died after contracting COVID-19 since the beginning of September. What should we be doing? Libby asked this question of Dr. Prabhat Jha, epidemiologist and faculty member at the Dalla School of Public Health at the University of Toronto, and Dr. Tamara Daly, York University professor and the director of the university's Centre for Aging Research and Education. I've been concerned ever since the numbers began rising uh, in terms of community spread, because we know that when uh, COVID is rising in the community, that it will get into long-term care. I think the spring showed us that very much. 
Dr. Judd, you think that, uh, you know, that we were promised an iron ring. Do we have an iron ring around long-term care? I don't think we have an iron ring. Um, however, I think what we're seeing now is is uh, qualitatively different than what we saw in uh, in April, May, where effectively we had lots of clusters of cases in long-term care homes, along with community transmission, a lot of staff transmitting trans, uh, cases within nursing homes, and therefore a big spike and a quick spike. This is what you've just described, that the statistics are more of a slow burn, a concerning rise nonetheless, but certainly not the big increase that we saw so quickly hit us in, uh, in April, May. Uh, Dr. Daly, do you agree with that? And, and is the difference that we're not getting as much transmission from staff or, or what? Well, I think it may, in fact, be too early to tell because we weren't testing at the same rate uh, in April and May. And we weren't also reporting uh, the um, distinction between long-term care and just in the broader community in the same way until a bit later. So I think it may, in fact, be too early to tell, uh, although I, I, uh, I take the point that was made. Uh, Dr. Jai, is there anything that we should be doing now before this gets any worse that we are not doing? Well, absolutely. And I think the big lesson from the first uh, April, May uh, peak was that the deaths are going to occur in the elder population. And 80% of all of the roughly 10,000 deaths from COVID in Canada have occurred in nursing home populations. So we know that that was just a a catastrophe that um, needs to be avoided. So what do we need to do? Well, first, we have to take the frontline workers um, and their protection seriously. So they're mostly all now using personal protective equipment, but there's still gaps that need to be filled. The testing among particularly nursing homes, I believe, continues to be inadequate. Uh, I think we should move to twice-weekly testing of all staff that are working in nursing homes. And now, on the other hand, the somewhat good news from this round is along with a slower increase, what we're observing are uh, cases in nursing homes, mostly driven by staff bringing in infections, not so much the visitors and, and family. And those are what we in epidemiologists say are not clusters, meaning you get one or two cases, but not a big outbreak like five or ten people are infected, as occurred in in April, May. So now that in turn relates to, well, where are the staff getting infected? We know that many long-term care staff work uh, very long hours, and they come from the neighborhoods, particularly in uh, Toronto or uh, surrounding areas that have highest rates. And they often will come from crowded houses. So these are socioeconomic circumstances of the nursing home staff that also need to be addressed to try to get them into uh, places where they're in less crowded conditions and have access to twice-weekly testing. Those things we should have done in the summer, we have not. And it's been a disappointment, I think, to Dr. Dali and, uh, and myself and others. But it's still not too late. We should start doing that right away. On the long-term care situation, what do you hope to see in the next week or so? Test, test, test. Increase the testing of 
all long-term care staff to at least twice a week. Dr. Daly? And I think that there should be continual support around the proper donning and doffing of personal protective equipment, as well as continual checking to make sure that there are sufficient supplies available. Dr. Tamara Daly, York University professor and the director of the University Center for Aging Research and Education, and Dr. Prabhat Jha, epidemiologist and faculty member at the Dalalana School of Public Health at the University of Toronto. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Coming up after the break, attention turns to Parliament Hill and a high-stakes game of chicken. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. A drama played out on Parliament Hill this last week as the governing minority liberals and opposition conservatives goaded each other over the possibility of a snap election. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's government won a confidence vote on Wednesday over a conservative motion to establish an anti-corruption committee that would have probed more details on the WE charity affair. New Democrat, Green and Independent MPs joined with the Liberals to defeat the proposal. But those opposition MPs also made it clear they were voting strictly to avoid plunging the country into an election in the midst of a deadly second wave of COVID-19. And they put the blame squarely on the Prime Minister for turning the motion into a matter of confidence. Prior to the vote, Libby was joined by Bob Richardson, liberal strategist and senior counsel to national public relations, and conservative strategist Jason Leader. I think most Canadians woke up this morning, you know, took their kids to school and said, what? Like, what, what are you talking about? There might be an election. Didn't we just have one of those? Like, you know, I thought Trudeau just scraped through, you know. I, so I got to tell you, I think most Canadians... Listen, this might pass today. I think it's probably going to, but it's pretty clear Mr. Trudeau has run out of patience with a minority sort of shackles on him in a in a uh, in a in a minority parliament. He's decided that he can live with either result, and I think he he thinks he can win, which truthfully I think is probably true uh, as a strategic move. But I got to tell you, it's it's just so disingenuous and 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 what a cover up, right? I mean, the lengths that you'll go to. To not allow a committee to be set up to organize itself to look into the We Charity scandal even further. I mean, you're going to call an election for goodness sakes. So, listen, and the other thing that I want to say, and I'll be interested to hear what Bob has to say about this, but even if people are trying to avoid an election in the, in the, in the, um, in the vote here today, there should still be one. I mean, the Trudeau Liberals could not send all their people to vote against the motion. We could have technical difficulties. They're voting by Zoom, for goodness sakes. There's no real, no, there's no real easy way to abstain. Who knows what the two independent, uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould could hold the, the balance of power. The Green Party's probably going to vote with the Liberals. We don't really know what's going to happen today. And anybody that tells you that they do, I think is lying to you. This whole thing, I have a different take on it, surprisingly, than <laughs> Jason does. Uh, this is a political tantrum. Um, uh, elements of the Conservative Party, not the whole Conservative Party, still cannot believe that uh, Justin Trudeau beat them not once, but in two elections. And we're in six, uh, year six of a liberal government, uh, particularly Mr. Polyev. And uh, this is not about a committee. There's lots of oversight. 
There's the ethics commissioner. There's an auditor general. The government has offered to put together a responsible new house committee. Um, there's lots of opportunity for oversight on this issue. And by the way, there already has been a fair amount, including the prime minister attending. This is a political tantrum uh, by Mr. Polyev, who wants to uh, derail the government. Uh, Stephen Harper wouldn't put up with this nonsense. Brian Mulroney wouldn't put up with this nonsense. Jean Chrétien would be over at Rideau Hall five days ago uh, and wouldn't put up with this nonsense either. So uh, that's what we're seeing here today. And, uh, you know, if we go to the polls, we go to the polls, we'll see what, uh, 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 what our chances are. But this was a massive conservative overreach with rhetoric that was completely inappropriate, and the government was right doing what they're doing. Bob, uh isn't this just a question of a calculation that if they go now, if the Liberals go now, they'll do better than if they wait? Well, I think the uh, Liberals would actually genuinely prefer not to go now. It's always better to have the keys to the car than not have the keys to the car. Uh, so I think they would uh, prefer to stay in for for at least two years or two, two and a half years, which is the normal lifespan for a min- minority government. There is no reason to be going to the polls. But at the same time, there does come a point where you cannot uh, let be pushed around and intimidated uh, by political thuggery. And that's exactly what this is. And they shouldn't allow it. And uh, I, I completely agree with the government on this one. What happens to the NDP and Jugmeet Singh in this? Uh, is, is he punished for propping up the minority government? Uh, is he rewarded for it? What happens to him? I think he's fine. I think he looks a bit like, uh, strangely enough, an adult in the room. Uh, I think he has uh, positioned himself relatively well. Uh, one of the reasons I don't think there'll be an election is I don't think John Horgan wants there to be an election um, on the eve of uh, BC's vote because it creates volatility that he doesn't need while he's trying to get a majority. Um, so, you know, I, I think he comes out of this looking fine. Bob Richardson, liberal strategist and senior counsel to national public relations and conservative strategist Jason Leader. They were in conversation with Libby Snymer on Wednesday prior to the confidence vote in the House of Commons. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. The name of Canada's first prime minister, Sir John A. Macdonald, has been taken off the building that houses the law school at Queen's University in Kingston. It is the latest bid to remove tributes to Sir John A. Macdonald from public spaces because of his poor treatment of Indigenous people. The decision came after a two-month-long consultation process that heard from upwards of 3,000 people. A statement from Queen says the decision reflects the university's mission and commitment to honor the values of equity, diversity, and inclusivity, and to ensure all students, faculty, and staff feel welcome within the Queen's community. Critics say it's erasing history and bowing to political correctness. Libby had a discussion about this on Thursday with Dr. Patrice Dutille, professor in the Department of Politics and Public Administration at Ryerson University, along with Kat Krieger, an Indigenous elder who works extensively in secondary and post-secondary institutions. When I look at anywhere I go and use the phrase, you know, inclusivity and, and equity, I was sitting here, you know, listening to what you were saying earlier I thought when I when I have my place, my home, I, I like to surround myself with things that bring me comfort, uh, that make me relax, that uh, 
uh, remind me of good things. And that's a, almost a personal uh, envelope we all like to build around ourselves. And would I include something in my house that uh, that didn't make me comfortable or made me um, made others who might visit me feel uncomfortable? And that's not something I would like to do. So my that first mindset is from a personal point of view. But I also realize, of course, working in education, education says something about delivering, in a sense, a product uh, that contains many things. In, in this case, history that we're talking about. So this idea of Completely removing Sir John A. McDonald from sight is, is not something I would deem correct. So if I'm, I'm selling that product of history, it should include all those things. Much like if we buy uh, a car, it should have all the things that makes it go forward. If, if you walk into a building or see a statue with Sir John A. McDonald, do, does that make you uncomfortable? As an Indigenous person, that, that immediate reminder, and, and you know, we reference that early quote we hear from Sir John A. MacDonald so often about starting industrial schools. I, I admit my first response to something like that is that memory. And that's, that's a triggering effect for me. It's not the first thing I want to see. Um, but again, part of me as an educator wants to educate about everything. So there's that, that imbalance within me, I guess. Dr. Patrice Dutille, what's your view? Well, Queen's University, of course, has the right to do whatever it wants, and the name comes off a building that's not particularly handsome. So at that level, I, I really, uh, like my friend, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm not really one to speak on this, but on the other hand, there is a problem here when we are erasing any reference to people who have shaped our civilization, people who have shaped our country. And we are erasing history. We already are at a stage now where there is precious little to remind us of our history. Canadians live in an ahistoric uh, place. So to remove John A. MacDonald uh, from a law school, I mean, John A. MacDonald was a moving spirit in creating Queen's University, in creating the law school at Queen's University. Uh, it's a recognition of his importance as the creator of Canada, in the sense that he was the moving spirit in creating the country that we all enjoy. And he was the prime minister of our country for almost 20 years. So what are we saying here? We're saying that John A. just isn't important. And, you know, he's made mistakes. His government made mistakes. But here's the reality, that 19th century politicians made a lot of mistakes. And worse, 20th century politicians made a lot of the same mistakes, too. So what are we doing here by removing John A.? We're saying that the man who, who was prime minister for 20 years and re-elected democratically by our society, by our, our forefathers, our, you know, our great-grandfathers, uh, is of no value, has nothing to teach us. And I think that's completely wrong, because John A. McDonald's record is a remarkable record. And even with Indigenous people, I think that the record has been completely misunderstood. And I think that's very sad. But, you know, this is the, this is the tenor of our times. And I have a hope, Libby, that one day our children will recover what good things John A. MacDonald did, and one day we'll put him back and his memory back where it belongs.
Dr. Patrice Dutil, professor in the Department of Politics and Public Administration at Ryerson University, along with Kat Krieger, an indigenous elder and educator in both secondary and post-secondary institutions. I'm Jane Brown, and you're listening to the best of Fight Back. Coming up, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. And now, Fight Back's Knockout Call of the Week. In fact, there were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Rose in Mississauga, who phoned to say she appreciates how hard the political leaders are working during the COVID-19 crisis. The uh, Ford government and uh, Justin Trudeau, they are doing a magnificent, magnificent job. They are being just totally stressed out. You can imagine yourself working 24 hours a day together with the cabinet ministers. I am—I was a conservative, but now I am leaning more towards the liberals. And why is that? That is because I am, uh, I am a senior. They are tr- trying to do their best job. And how can you, uh, how can the conservatives just go on with the We Charity a scandal with, uh, with uh, any other uh, 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 trying to make too much noise in regards to, uh, to uh, all those investigations? I agree that it was not the right thing with the We Charity. But on the other hand, let, let the government do their job that they're doing during a pandemic. This pandemic is, is horrific. Uh, there are no jobs for anybody. They're trying to do their best. That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby and have your say anytime on our Fight Back voicemail, 416 416- 367 9636 416 I'm Jane Brown. Join us again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.